Hello and welcome to the Bible and Me podcast brought to you by Precept UK. We are a charity based here in Salisbury focused mainly on Bible study resources and it's our mission to equip people to know God deeply and to live differently as a result. For more information, visit precept.org.uk. But firstly, I just want to start this off by saying a massive thank you to all of our listeners. We are so blessed now to be releasing Series 7 and we couldn't have got there without your incredible testimonies and reviews. If you aren't already, we would love it if you would consider subscribing so that you won't miss out on ordinary people with interesting stories about an extraordinary God. But without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I am really very pleased to be interviewing Andrea Williams for the Bible and Me podcast today. Andrea is Chief Executive of Christian Concern and also acts as the founder and operating director of Christian Legal Centre. I hope I've got that right, uh, which is a sister organisation that describes itself as serving to defend Christians in the public sphere and protect the freedom of Christians to live their lives in accordance with their Christian beliefs. Andrea is a criminal and family barrister. She has run, wait for it, 10 marathons. Uh, she is married to Gareth and they have together four grown children, Lily, Florence, Luca and Nancy Rose. Uh, Andrea, welcome to the programme. It's great to be with you. Now, Andrea, um, I ask all my guests this. Um, how did you come to faith in Jesus and why do you follow him? So two questions, really. Well, my story of faith in Jesus goes right back to the very beginning. I mean, right back to the very beginning, because I can't remember a moment when I haven't loved him. And, and what does he mean to me? Well, he means everything. Uh, to me it's it's kind of as simple as that and I feel so privileged to um, have spent my whole life as if every every waking moment really shaped by him and in love with him and and I of course would have it no other way but it is truly a great honor um, to have lived like that and a blessing and a privilege and I do take that very seriously indeed and the reason why I say it goes right back to the very beginning is that um, I was born to young parents. My mum was uh, just 17 when she had me, but she and my father, my father had come across from Italy. They were making their way as a young couple uh, together in the 1960s. And my mum had never been introduced to Christianity at all. And my dad had been taught by priests in a seminary, but had turned his back on the idea of faith at that particular point when they met and, and when I was born. But um, my parents, they built their own first, their first own home together, a little bungalow, eight, four acres in Portland and Dorset, a little peninsula down on the south coast. I know, I know it well, yeah. yeah. I love it, I love Portland. My husband says that when I first met him and he was, we met in Wales, but he said that when I first met him, the way I described Portland was like it was this some tropical island. It was like the most exotic place on the planet. And he said, he said it wasn't quite like that when he arrived. But for me, it remains the most exotic place on the planet. But the point is that um, they built this little house on a new build estate. And the local Methodist church sent around a minibus to pick up all the children that were coming into that estate. And I was one of the children and I can remember the names of all the children that were picked up in that local estate. As we went round, they picked up the children of Four Acres and they brought us to Eastern Methodist Church. And it was there that Mrs. Hicks, my first Sunday school teacher, I was four, age four, and I can picture the room and a little semicircle of little chairs at the back of the old Methodist chapel, you know, how they, you can picture the, the Methodist church setups. And there, Mrs. Hicks told me all about Jesus. And I can remember, and I remember that is vivid in my memory. And I fell in love with Jesus there and then. And I took everything that she said seriously, and they would send us home with little homework things to do and so that was really how I first encountered Jesus yeah yeah um, and if I continue this story age seven um 
Mrs. Mrs. Hibbs, so and Mrs. Hibbs was married <laughs> to the choir master, but she told me that the best present I could ever have was a Bible and to read it every day. And I went oh, home wow. to my mum and I asked for a Bible. And my mum gave me a Bible. And almost every day from that day to this, mm. um, I have um I've read my Bible. But let me just tell you the other bit in this little Methodist story is that aged 11, Mr. Hicks, husband of Mrs. Hicks, well, he, he was my Sunday school teacher then through until he was the youth leader. And let me tell you this about Mr. and Mrs. Hicks. He was a stonemason because Portland is Portland stone. Yeah, and yeah. He was a stonemason and he um, would pray every morning before he went to the quarries. And I knew that I was in his, on his prayer list. And I know, and I know until the day that he died, that he prayed for me every single day. Yeah, wow. And so this is the story of faithful men and women. Yes. Um, really loving the children and looking after the children they brought into their Sunday school. And, you know, my sister followed, my brother followed, and my parents came to faith ultimately too. Yeah. And then the story, just, and then I suppose from going from the childhood faith to the adult faith, when I was um, 15, I stood up at a missions conference in central London and I said, Lord Jesus, I'm surrendered. I'll go wherever you have me go. I'll do whatever you have me do. But you see, I already wanted to be a barrister. And I said to him, but please, can I still be a barrister? Yeah, yeah. Well, that is uh, uh, that, yeah, amazing, amazing. I know Portland a little bit through... Um, my army flying days because there was a naval air, the naval air station That's down it, there absolutely, yes. flo flown into there a few times um why um so just a quick one what can we learn about your story of coming to face so young for for, for us today so maybe parents or yeah you know what what is there about your story that we can appropriate for us today well it's training the children, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, this, you know, this, I, the, 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 the point about it all is, especially in our culture today, is to take very seriously as Christian parents, the task of raising our children in the faith, to take very seriously the task of Sunday school and education. Yeah. I feel as if Christians, what they've done is they've relinquished to the state, yeah. to, 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 to the world, the raising of their children in many ways. We think that somehow the education in this country is neutral, but in fact, what we should do is be shaping the whole of the, the lives of our young children in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his beauty, in his righteousness. We yeah. need, and, and there's a sense in which we throw them out into the culture, expecting them to survive. Yeah. And I really, and I think that I, what I remember is this, as a child, was that I believed everything any teacher told me. So yeah. if it hadn't been, if it hadn't been Mrs. Hicks and Mrs. Hibbs and Miss Atwell and Mrs. Satherley, if it hadn't been these people at Sunday school, then it could well have been someone who was teaching me, let's say in the schools, in, in, in a regular school today, we may be being told that we can be any gender we want or, or whatever it might be. And yeah. so to, to remember that our children are like sponges and they're, and they're precious and they're innocent because so was I. But when yeah. I got put the truth into me, it made me so deeply passionate about the truth. But I think also to remember this, that it was aged eight when I was at home from Sunday school that I watched Crown Court on the television. And I said to my mother, um, I was unwell with chicken pox and that's why I was there watching Crown Court with my mum. And I said to my mum, when I grow up, mum, I want to be a barrister and I'm never going to change my mind. And that night on my basil brush carpet, I prayed my prayer. God bless mum, God bless dad, God bless Sam the cat and amen. And please, Lord Jesus, if it is your will, please may I pass the 11 plus so that I can go to the grammar school. And I prayed that prayer every night. Wow. And the Lord granted me the desire of my heart because I figured that the only way that a little girl like me with my family background would become a barrister is if I went to the grammar school to have yeah. a chance of going to university. Of course, those were, it was a different era. We're back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. But let me say about that, that God also takes the faithful child seriously. Mm. So if as parents, we are, if we are really cultivating in them a love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if they love the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we are praying to God, then he molds and shapes our lives. And this is the, you know, it's the how to live. It's the most exciting way to live. 
is a beautiful, exciting, faith-filled uh, life. And, you know, and that's, and that's how, that's what he wants for us. Yeah, that's I mean, there's, there's that well-known verse in the Bible which says, without faith, it is impossible to that's please it. God. So yeah. if we are to, if we, if we want to please God, and not, maybe not everybody does, but, but maybe a lot of people do want to please God, then actually he wants us to live by faith. So, so, so that's me. So you went to the grammar school, uh, and on leaving school, you studied law at Cardiff University, because I guess you wanted to be a barrister, therefore you needed to study the law, um, and you had a year out in Italy, I understand. And for seven years, you were a criminal and family barrister in London. That's now, right. what, are your, what are your memories of that sort of seven-year period uh, doing that role? Yes. Um, oh, I, I mean, I absolutely loved being in the courts. I loved, um, I loved my cases. I loved, um, I can see that, you know, um, that God really took me into my chambers, but also um, I loved trundling around the courts um, in, in predominantly in England, in the, predominantly in the South of England, but not exclusively. I, I just really loved having the bag on my back you know, it was in the days when we carried around our books. So I had Archbold, the criminal text on my back. And um, I really um, carried around big, huge files. Everything wasn't files on the computer in those days, you know, that sort of thing. And I loved having my wig and gown. I loved jury trials. Um, and so it was a very formative period in, in my life. And I'd gone into the law really believing that um, I wanted to do justice, um, that's that's what I that's what it was all about, and it was a great it was just, it was training it was understanding my way around the law, and I feel that what the Lord had also done in all of this was um, really uh, at that stage of my life He positioned me into an amazing chambers where I was doing some amazing work with very senior lawyers. Sometimes I was the junior, 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 junior lawyer. So for instance, on the case, the Carl Bridgewater case, if you remember the, the paper boy, that was a very uh, famous case, but I, I was very much, um, you know, a, a very young lawyer at that time, but I was surrounded by QCs and I was locked in that courtroom for about three months. And that was fascinating, but very formative. Yeah. And the Lord also at that time um, gave me um, this extraordinary, I see now just an extraordinary um, a relationship. So I got to know Lord Denning, for instance, um, through the Lawyers Christian Fellowship and through the work that I was doing. And um, because I'd become very involved at Cardiff um, University in the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, I became involved also in London and was began to take on a mentoring role with young, I was young myself, but slightly younger students at the time, and began to bring them to Lord Denning. And he would begin, and we would have once a quarter meetings with him. So it's things like that that were quite extraordinary at that particular time. Yeah, for those, also, for, for, for those that don't know Lord Denning, because um, there may be some people that don't, just briefly who, who who was he well he's very much an iconic judge of the 20th century uh, 20th century um and was very fearless um in his judgments and very much was very outspoken or spoke out i should perhaps be a better way of saying it about the biblical framework for law and seeking justice and that's yeah. where he and you you really got it you would get a sense of his desire to it, this understanding he even wrote a booklet on the the framing of the Ten Commandments and the law in our country and the common law, the the, the common law being the biblical law. This is all Lord Denning stuff, which was yeah. rich. He was he would re use very rich language that often at that time got into the newspapers. Can I also say this about him? Because we spoke about faith earlier. He was fearless, fearless in his judgments, you know, and he would get criticism and and so on. Um, so you learn you learn to. You learned a bit of that from him as well. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about absolutely. No, 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 absolutely. I mean, Jesus, Jesus himself drew criticism, you know, 
and primarily from the religious leaders of the day, we mustn't yes. forget. Yes. Um, now, I understand you went to the States after, after that time in London, and you got involved with a church there that had a significant impact on you. Yes. What, 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 what happened? What, what yes. Happened? Well, I mean, I think this is another important thing, and it's interesting in this that we're recording during the COVID pandemic, you know, we're recording now in January of 2021, when many churches are closed, as in churches are closed down, and we're, I know we're meeting online, and, and yeah. so on, some are meeting online, and we've been bringing cases around the importance of church, church autonomy. But I just want to, before I get to the American church, I'm going to try and do this quickly, but that local Methodist church, a small church in Portland. Then I went to university and was at Glenwood Church, which was a startup church at that time, but a very free, charismatic church. Amazing, with people that really love me. Then, arriving in London for those barrister years that we just talked about at that time, I was at St. Helens Bishopsgate under the teaching of Dick Lucas. Oh, my word. And I... And I <laughs> Let me tell you, he, I still, to this day, I will listen to his sermons. He is heroic in the way in which he opened the Bible to me to really understand it. And some of the key leaders at that time, Richard Cunningham, who now heads up UCCF, um, Nigel Stars, who heads up the Cornhill training course. These were mentors or we were peers stroke mentors. Yeah. But they, we together, we really in depth, um, began, I, well, I for sure began to really understand and apply the Bible in a new way, in a very, so this was very profound for me. Dick Lucas's expository preaching. I honestly was the little girl, but I wasn't really that little. I was in my twenties, but I would come to the front. I would get as close as I could to the pulpit. I would be there with my pencil and my book, waiting to hear what Dick Dick Lucas was gonna tell me this week. Mm. It was so exciting. Having the Bible opened in that way. Then we moved to America. So for for me, at that point, it was all about really going deep into the Bible in terms of understanding it. Then we get to my husband's work. We we have by this time I've been married, married in 1990. And my husband in 1995, we had the first of our four children, Lily. And the same week that she was born, he was offered a position in Atlanta. And this took us because I had just negotiated a year out from Chambers, and this took us to Perimeter Church in Atlanta, led by a guy called Randy Pope, an amazing preacher. And I had never, I had a typical Brit view of America at that time. I didn't realise I had a typical Brit view at all, but I kind of thought, I don't really want to go there, all seem big, bright, and I'm not, you know, all a bit much. Sorry to America, but that's kind of, it was, it was a, it was subconscious, I had no, I wouldn't have got, I had no desire to go there, but Gareth's work was taking us there. And we got to, uh, arrived in Atlanta, and this was a mega church that had grown from a, it had grown from a, from a hotel room, but it had become a mega church. And now we're seeing through around 17,000 people during the, the weekend. Now, people sometimes say, well, how can you feel part of that? Well, let me tell you, immediately we felt part of it. Immediately there was an orientation weekend. This kind of, so we understood exactly the principles of the church. But the thing that was highly formative about God's leading in this period of my life was that during the first week that we were there, uh, from the platform, so a huge platform speaking to thousands of people, a woman stood up and gave her testimony about an abortion that she had had. I had never heard anyone talk about their abortion at all. And she talked then about giving, helping women in confidential Bible studies to go th- and, to, and all, um, to talk through the issues, things that were occurring in their lives. But I'd never heard anything like that. And then this lady called Karen Black got up and she talked about sidewalk counselling. Now, all my kind of Oh my goodness, sidewalk counselling, that sounds very American. She talked about going down into central Atlanta to the abortion clinics and talking to women who are about to have abortions. Now, I was not, not, about that. Not, not a very British thing to do. <laughs> not a very British thing to do. But I found myself signing up 
find myself trained up. And then I went down to downtown Atlanta and that very first time, that very first time that we went down there, I saw three women that were turned away from, chose life for their children and for themselves. And I became very involved and mentoring in with some of the women that chose life for wow. their children. And you know, today, just now we've just had Christmas, I write my cards to the, to the children that are now, that they are now 25 years of age, 24, 25 years of age, because they now live, because Karen, Karen Black's ministry existed. Yeah. And that's, and that, so that for me blew my mind in terms of, it wasn't, suddenly, you know, I'm passionate about the winning of souls, always have been passionate about the winning of souls, the eternal destiny. But we're, here we have a situation whereby we are saving, we are saving, the we, we were saving yeah. it, but these things matter too. And, you know, we bring life, not death. Yeah, amazing. Now, you returned to the UK and were very involved with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship. Um, briefly, what did that involve? Uh, and while you were there, you set up Christian Concern. Um, yeah. So how did, how did that all come about? Yes. Um, okay. I think, and I'll try and blend the answer to this from where I've just ended on the abortion story. Because what I want to say about that is it opened my mind generally to the whole issue of captivating culture, which is a little bit about uh, what when we, you were asking me earlier about the children. What do we do with our children? Well, we keep hold of them. We train them as Christians to really be Christian in every sphere of life, to understand that there is nothing out with God's sovereignty and beauty and purpose and and so again what this mega church taught me was wow music can be captivated for jesus christ the arts can be captivated for jesus christ it showed me attached to this church was a school and the children would walk into the school with god made the world uh, as they walked through the door and so i came back i came back to britain i came back saying okay god made the world we're gonna have schools we're gonna well there isn't gonna be any area of business or any area of, we're gonna we're gonna run the local councils we're gonna be bringing jesus into every sphere of everything because because everything belongs to him and so i no longer had this uh, you know i've had look i'd had the best churches ever growing up you know I've just told you about them but suddenly I had this huge massive vision for um as as important as the soul winning was and it and it remains don't, don't hear me any different as important as kind of Jesus people come to know the goodness of their sins suddenly it really was about speaking truth into every sphere of life because this was also gospel vision that the gospel vision should not be shrunk to, you know, what is true for me? It was about Jesus Christ being Lord of all. And of course, that was true for all the stuff I know in the churches I've been to before. But suddenly in my head and in my body and everything, in the whole way that I wanted to approach life, it was where I saw injustice spoken about, where I saw laws that were going astray as a lawyer, now as a kingdom lawyer. It was important to speak about that. And I've been involved in the Lawyers Christian Fellowship for years prior to going to America, um, pioneered the group in Cardiff University, and then had worked as a student, came back and began to work as a student worker with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, and then began to branch into policy work with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, because I began to see now in the middle 90s, with the influence of the Human Rights Act and the equality legislation that was coming in, that our laws, we're not going to be based on, you know, I've mentioned Lord Denning, but the way in which Lord Denning would have interpreted our common law, the, the, the Christian framework, which we had grown very accustomed to and unquestioning of that way of thinking. But actually, it was going to become a much more rights based world in which the, leg the, world, the law would operate. And I could see um, as a result of everything that God had, God had done to me in terms of formulating my path. I could see now that there were going to be um, conflict laws that conflicted, human rights laws that conflicted. And I could see that Christians, unless we spoke loudly and clearly, quickly, 
that we were going to lose um, our very freedom to speak some of those yeah. things. Now, um, I do have to say that um, I'm still surprised that my life has turned out the way that it has, that, um, that, um, the, that I've been involved in the things that I have been involved in. Because certainly if you'd said to me when I was a young lawyer, you will need to defend people because they say that marriage is between a man and a woman. I'd have said that, could, or I, I wouldn't, I couldn't have, I, I wouldn't have thought that that were possible. If you'd said yeah. to me, you're to be defending a doctor because he says that he can't put on a medical form that a biological woman is a, uh, um, is a man, then I said that couldn't possibly happen in Great Britain, but mm. it has happened. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, and it was really then, so having been involved in the Lawyers Christian Fellowship was very much set up as a prayer union and as a fellowship. Um, the challenge began to be, as lawyers, we're watchmen on the walls. We can see the legislation that's happening and we need to provide a vehicle whereby we speak into government and we speak in and we and we, we defend people that are in trouble. And that's really how Christian Concern was born, because it was something much bigger than just the lawyers themselves. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a vehicle for the church and the Christian yeah. Legal Centre then to act as a legal advice centre. I mean, it sounds as though to me what you've described, there is a real it was a real calling. It was like a oh, my goodness me, I've got I've got clarity now what you want me to do lord with this um which is wonderful really i mean you may not have described it in that way but i've sort of interpreted it as as it that way now how give us a taste of the sort of issues that i mean you've given us a little taste but but you know what's in your entry at the moment with the sort of things the issues you're so to give to sort of paint a picture for those listening of the the really important things you're dealing with as as an organization Yes. Um, and also uh, alongside that, the positive impact that you are yeah. able to have uh, on lives, on people's yes. lives. Um, I think that... Um, It's been a long, uh, a, a long, a long, uh, quite a long pause um, here. As I just, I no, that's pause. fine. Almost, no, no, that's fine. Almost, almost in um, kind of wondering where to start on 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 all of it. I think that um, when I came back from America, I fully expected to go back to the bar and to go back and pick up my life in chambers again. I kept on having children and. Um, so I kept on taking a little bit more time out. But during that whole period, I was writing briefing papers into government um, because we were facing the Civil Partnerships Act, which, of course, was really the Civil Partnerships Act, which recognised same-sex relationships as akin to marriage, was really a huge undermining of marriage. Mm -hmm. But, of course, the huge undermining of marriage goes right back to 19, the 1960s with the advent of the contraception pill and a lot of sexual, so-called sexual freedom. And I think that what I'd say today is this, that I feel like the pandemic is um, like a hothouse. It's like we can see in big, huge letters exactly where we've come spiritually as as a nation, but I really want to speak to the church because if we look back over the last um, 70 years, let's say since the 1950s, 60s, um, we have seen in our nation, a nation that's drifted away from God's, these wonderful Genesis one creation principles of how we should live. You know, the, the, the beauty of marriage between one man and woman, raising yeah. our children. Um, yeah. Then the, um, we've, our laws have moved away from that, that concept. They've moved away from, even in night, we can't imagine a world whereby the protection of the unborn child would be seen as sacrosanct, but it was in the 1960s up to 1967. We wouldn't have dreamt in our laws of taking, um, taking 
taking uh, an unborn life. So where do we get to in the pandemic? Well, let me say this, what you have is a situation whereby at the very beginning of this pandemic in March um, of 2020, the same week, the government, despite promising, the health department, despite promising on the floor of the House of Commons that there would be um, no change in abortion laws, extended access to abortion uh, by telemedicine. So a little bit like you and I are speaking now, uh, women can call up, say they're in an unplanned pregnancy and um, they will be prescribed two abortion pills to have at home. So what happened within the pandemic was that happened immediately. And there are 10,000 um, abortions per month in this way. And you know that every day um, at the moment we're getting the deaths by COVID. Well, just imagine yeah. if we got the deaths by abortion um, day in, day out on our screens. Also yeah. during the COVID period, uh, access to essentially no fault, completely no fault divorce. I mean, we already had it in a manner of speaking, but now it's almost internet divorce uh, that we have got. This came in during the pandemic. This was finalized during the uh, pandemic. Liberalizing of laws further um, around surrogacy, fostering the kind of formulations of how our children are, ch children are raised. All of this is happening during the pandemic, a push to legalize assisted suicide. Right now at this moment, we're dealing with a case, right now as I, I'm recording, even in the, in the moments coming into this, with a man um, where uh, a part of the family are wanting to ensure that he continues to be given food and hydration. The prognosis is that he may well live in a minimally conscious state, hopefully he might even get better for the in the next five years, but there's a huge push to remove his tubes. So what am I saying in all of, all of this at the moment, we have a situation whereby um, the value of life, the family fabric um, has been hugely eroded and to speak and speaking out about it um, can often mean that you lose your position at work, um, you lose your um, status. So we're seeing that, but also within this period, starkly, um, the church closed up not not everyone entirely, and I don't, I'm not I'm not um, hear me right here because I'm not um, I don't want to I'm not beating the church around the head, but we have a situation whereby um, the government has, as a result of the COVID rules, has said the church will close, has mm. for, has criminalised the church has criminalised the church meeting at the beginning. Well, as a result of us bringing a legal action to say that we need to be treated as an essential service. We need to be trusted like supermarkets are trusted. We, we are not reckless people, but we need to be open because it's not just about our physical health, it's about our spiritual health, it's about our eternal destinies. I mean, there's not much more going on here than just yeah. keeping us safe from COVID. We're hearing the rising mental health issues and all of those things. Mm. So the point is, but the church in large part has shut up shop. Uh, or is satisfied just with online meeting when there's a broken and hurt and lost world out there that needs the good news and the eternal news mm. of a savior that will rescue. Yeah. And I want to say that again, and this is, I feel like this has been a slightly muddled answer. It's because there's so much more I want to say, and I'm not getting out in a very ordered format. But the point about this is that, um, the fact that the government could close us, the fact that the government didn't think of us at the very beginning um, as an essential service. I mean, never before in the history of our country, not during blitz, not during ever, 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 ever have the church doors closed. You know, it, the idea that a grocery shop is open before we are open, the idea that an off license is open or a DIY store is open before we are open. The idea that the dentist can be open before the church is open shows yeah. you yeah. is a sense of a judgment. It's in a sense a judgment on the church, and it's because we have become irrelevant. We've become relegated to club status. Yeah, you know, and we're not a club. We're about you know the winning of souls. Yeah, this is this is this is one's eternal destiny at stake here. Correct. And it's so sad that um, 
that 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 we are in that state. And I guess, you know, it's it's the MPs, it's government that legislate, bring in the legislation. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, where all those people are individually with their own walk and their own journey of faith to be prepared to bring in the legislation that you've talked about. And actually, God's nowhere there, really. And the reason, um, and, and, the, and, and I want to say, how can we expect them to do the right thing if they don't know the right thing? It's the church's job to speak truth. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. We speak to our families. We speak to our communities and we speak to a nation. It's our job to disciple our families, our communities and our nation. Yeah. And, you know, this is, this is not, this is, so it is about individuals, but it's about corporate discipleship. And mm-hmm. you sort MPs are reached individually and they're also reached because the sound of the gospel rings clearly in the public space. But it's as if as a church, we have been embarrassed. We have been ashamed of the gospel. And what, when Jesus talks about being ashamed is about being ashamed of him and his words. Yes, yes, yes. This is the point. And it's about, you know, and it's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. and, And it's as if we've forgotten, we want to relegate Jesus to a personal friend you know like almost like a self-help guru but he Mm. isn't he's claimed stake on everything and he leads us to the path of purity and righteousness and what's happened in the church is we almost reflect the standards of the world rather than setting the the standards to the world and we is and our corporate voice and i don't and it's not like this on the ground there's so much amazing work being done see this the government likes to relegate us to social services Go and provide your meals on wheels. Open up for a food, to be a food bank. Open up to be a drug rehabilitation centre, but no prayer, no Bible. And in fact, we've had letters which say no worship. But in the Welsh government, they actually sent a letter to one of our churches to say, you're allowed to meet for your food bank, but you must not worship. Now, that's judgment on the church yeah. and, and, and therefore judgment on a nation. Yeah. And this is where we come back to that very familiar verse. If I just turn it up, which is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, Mm. which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Now, this is, I think, what God is talking to us in the pandemic. In the pandemic, we can see in blazing light what we have failed to speak on. Life, marriage, Mm. Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and relevant, essential. Not as essential to me as my running club is. I mean, I love, I love the running club. You know, I love the running club. But there's sometimes more fire and more passion about nutrition and pace in the running club than in the club that says we're about the salvation of souls. Amen. I want to run away from a lukewarm club. You know, that's, I, I like my hot, what's your pace? Are you getting faster? Mm. You know, and the, but it says if, if, my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways now he's talking to the church because you see we've allowed the world in yeah not value we've allowed pornography into the church uh we've accepted we we don't take marriage necessarily and divorce seriously all of this stuff and we can't speak when we've got stuff in the midst of ourselves and if we've allowed abortions all of this stuff we don't speak about it no well, amen and amen, I say to that. Now, you mentioned discipleship there. Um, and as a ministry, that's what our heart is to do, actually. It is to, in fact, I was having a conversation with a lovely a lovely guy today about this very thing. And he has a heart for discipleship. And I'm just, just uh, um, for those that are listening, that, that um, are sort of chiming with what Andrea is saying, to do with discipleship, please contact us as a ministry. Um, and we're here to help you um, to 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 be able to be discipled and to disciple others in the word of God. And, um, and uh, I want to turn uh, in a moment to the word of God, actually, um, and why that's important to you. But uh, so if you're listening, do get in touch with us. Uh, we'll get it. We'll talk about how you can get in touch with Christian Concern before the end as well, because I want you to know about them and how you can support them. But please contact Precept um, and we will be delighted uh, to come alongside you and help you do that. And, and I've got stories upon stories about how, God has blessed that. So um, just quickly, um, I understand you've had cancer. That's right. Yeah. Now, we we in my family, personally, we've had a lot of cancer as well. Um, 
where's God been in all of that? And, and you know, how how's God sort of sustained you in that? Because that is not an easy journey uh, at all. No. Um, so my, um, and you said quickly, because this could be a long story too. Um, so I'll take it quickly. Um, my first bout of cancer was back in 2008, uh, breast cancer, quite a, um, a quite a, an aggressive cancer at the time and uh, treated quite aggressively. And um, the, the children were all very young then. Mm. Um, and, but I, in that period, it was like, another, I sometimes, you know, there was a sense in which the Lord drew so close and I would sometimes be arrested in the middle, woken up in the middle of the night, um, singing to him at the top of my voice, sometimes for an hour. And, and, and it, it was just like a wonderful visitation, you know? And um, my husband sometimes at the end of that would kind of say, like, have you finished yet, Andrea? Because I would be sitting up because, and it was so beautiful and so, so real. Um, and I think that in the mid, I, when I had that cancer, my darling sister-in-law uh, or, or had ovarian cancer. I had breast cancer and sadly she died. And I just remember always having cancer alongside my darling sister-in-law and always knowing that mine had the better chance of being beaten. And so I always knew the Lord had my days in his hand. And I think that's yeah. what it makes yeah. me feel. And can I just also say in relation to this, and I hope that people are hearing me right on this. With cancer, I was surrendered to the Lord, to what the Lord had to do. I wanted to survive for my children very, very much. Mm -hmm. um, but I, the beauty of his presence was incredible at points, at, you know, at these kind of unusual points. We're always throughout, but also these incredible visitations, which I haven't really had since in the same way. But the, the, the pain of the work of Christian concern, the pain of the church's rebellion, the, the, the loneliness. When, when I had cancer, people were kind and would pray for me. Um, but the, in the work, there's a lot of backlash and a lot of lack of understanding. I understand the lack of understanding because even now it's too, time is so confined. I can't get out the, the, the heart, necessarily the heart or the reason behind we do, why we do all the things that we do, the, all the extraordinary cases that we take. More than a thousand cases every year now we've got. But I think that um, the point about it is that the work is painful, more painful than cancer, harder than cancer, because it's so lonely so misunderstood um hear that right i mean hear that i mean i i don't i don't i i i respect the cancer and and but it's the from a spiritual perspective staying faithful not getting bitter and hard which i could because i'm so hurt i sometimes feel so hurt or don't understand how why the church can't see yeah is the there's always a lot of love and compassion around people that are sick and that's the right of yeah. course that's absolutely right there's but there's a softness but i feel a lot of hardness and anger in the rest very often in my work yeah cancer has come back uh, twice since then and um mm. and i and i just again have just felt thankful to the lord for saving my life grateful to the amazing doctors and glad to have recovery to continue to live for him yeah. and it was after the first cancer that's when I began to run the marathons and I love the running of the marathons and and just all the training just that my head empties into Jesus when I run I feel like when I run pretty slowly I have to say but when I run I just love the like my like my mind just yeah. talking to jesus really yeah, no well I, I i i'm metaphorically taking my hat off to, <laughs> um, for running 10 marathons i've run one and i and it was the hardest thing i've ever done in my entire <laughs> life so honestly i really take my hat off that is fantastic good on you now you've talked about the bible you've talked about the importance of it why, why is the word of god important to you andrea <laughs> 
It's the first word and the last word. It's the beginning and the end. It's the everything. In it is all truth. And in Jesus Christ, who was there at the beginning and is there at the end, there at the beginning, word of God, creator, you know, there in creation, there in the savior of the world, the savior of you and me, and then the savior of the world. And then, you know, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Wow. What, you know, he is the beginning. It is the beginning and the end. It, in, the, in the word of God, all things hold together. In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. It's the how to live. It's the manual for living. Mm, fantastic. Now, do you have a favorite Bible book or character in the Bible? Well, I slightly <laughs> laugh when I look to this question because because it's Jesus. <laughs> so, do you know, I, I think of all the people that I've asked, <laughs> I, I think you're the only one that said that, actually. They, <laughs> but they've all sort of said Peter or Paul or, or um, you know, uh, uh, the, one of the first people I asked who's an AOG minister, he said Pontius Pilate. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, yes, well, okay. Okay, gee, I'll let you have Jesus. Well, say, you can have, let, me have, let me just say, though, you know, I think that... Um, when you look at the prophets, Jeremiah, when you look at them speaking and yeah, not being, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, yeah. I, I yeah. think there's a lot to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I often feel like a Jeremiah. Yes, yes, I'm sure. I, and, you know, and I want, and, and so I take a lot of comfort from the, from reading, from the, from reading the Old Testament. Book. And I, and I also really identify with their kind of grumpiness sometimes and their, and their, you know, and depression, you know, just kind of feeling a bit, really and that they people don't just you know and yeah. so there we are no you, you i mean you may not you yeah i mean you would not classify yourself as a prophet but but in terms of the role and the function that god has got you you are very much a prophet yeah. um, to the country in terms of speaking seeking to hold up truth yes. and you know you may have kings and queens or prime ministers or, or people high up in government just trying to shut you up and tear up and burn you know throw your things into the fire pit as they used to do yeah. um but god has not removed that fire and that passion for you to continue well i'm going to come back you know you may do that but i'm i'm still here you know fantastic fantastic do you have a favorite bible verse at all i think the bible verse bible verses change uh, for for me um you know um so i used to go um when I was growing up it was um I used to be a lot in not worrying and do not be anxious about anything uh, but also just about the fact that God watched over us and that he he clothed us you know if he worries about the sparrow you know if he worried if he if he clothes if he cares about the birds yes uh, so in Matthew um yeah the um and then so I think that um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every day. Yeah. Um, so again, I think it's kind of, um, I mean, in these, in these moments, in these moments right now, the two Chronicles yeah. 7 verse 14. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's really just about being entirely steeped, about not being ashamed of Jesus Christ yeah. Um, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, how can people connect with what you do? Um, how, how can they support you? How can we how can we pray for you? Um, yes, well, please um, come and uh, Google ChristianConcern.com and find us there. Sign up for our weekly newsletter because that sums up um, the work that we're doing. Um, and you'll get news, for instance, right now. So the new in this week, you'll hear news of our um, a challenge that we're bringing um, the Scot with regard to the Scottish churches, the enforced closure now in Scotland. So to try and bring that together with the English and Welsh challenges that we've got going going on, you'll hear all about us trying to save the man um, where the push by the courts is to remove his hydration and uh, hydration and nutrition. We've got the young actress Shay Amuba coming up who was removed from her acting role because of historic tweets um, talking about the beauty of uh, marriage so those are our absolutely live and current you know January the yeah. 13th yeah, 14th, yeah. 
uh, cases yeah. you hear about this unfolding also how you can be equipped um you know responding for instance to the government's consultation on diy abortion which they said would only ever be temporary but of course they were always going to make it permanent and so we need to try and resist that so all of that information is there in our newsletter so come and join us pray for us um support us you know it's a, it's it's a huge faith filled uh fearless ministry um but god has kept going so far so thank yeah. you to preset ministries thank you for your amazing ministry thank you for pressing on thank you for your love for the word of god and your de desire that people will be trained up and really know this well because we when we are invigorated by the word of god so that so then we will have the courage of our convictions mm -hmm. to go out and speak of him amen amen yeah i mean uh, thank you for that and and um you know uh, i i just um I, I admire what you're doing and um yeah i i think um it is not a, a popular thing that you are doing in the general general population i mean you may expect that in the general population but even necessarily maybe within the church it may not be that popular and i think i think uh, i think um you know, you, you have talked about um, how you came to faith at a young age and how Mrs. Hicks told you about Jesus, actually. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can get knocked off course and we can talk about the church or we can talk about even God. But God can be all sorts of things to different people. And there's some sort of reservedness about British people, English people not talking about Jesus. And, and, and one of the things I'll often say is, I, I, will, I will say to them, I, I defy you, whoever that may be, to read about this person called Jesus. And you come back to me and tell me um, you've got a problem. You come back and tell me what problem you see, because you won't find a problem with him. Look at the way that he treated people, outcasts, adulterers, um, you know, um, all sorts. Uh, and actually, it was the religious people, the, the prideful people, the arrogant people, the people that thought they had it all together, that Jesus was actually most, most against. And so, so I think we, we need to be talking more about Jesus <laughs> um, and, and actually challenge people to, to investigate the person of Jesus. Who, who is he? Who was he? Who is he? Um, and so forth. So, so just, um, Thank you for appearing on the podcast. I know you're crazy busy um, and you've mentioned all the thousands of cases you're involved in. So to give me an hour of your time is a real blessing. And, uh, you know, just I would encourage you, if I may, humbly, press on. Thank you so much. It's uh, press such on. a privilege. Thank you. Such a delight to be with you today. Yeah. Don't be deflected. Stand up. And um, who knows, you know, um, only in eternity, maybe we'll see the fruit of, of your labor. So, so bless you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you.